Welcome to the 177th episode of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on April 25th, 2020. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and 50% of this here show with me is the other 50% co-host, Carlos Rodella. How you doing, Carlos? What's up, ma'am? Uh, you know, it's funny. Every time you say 2020, I'm like, it's not the future yet. It doesn't feel like it. 2020 is a very futuristic sounding number to people like us who grew up in like the 80s. It feels it feel it felt so far away at that time, like totally just like, you know, rocket boots, flying cars, Jetsons, houses flying in the sky. We yeah. got none of that stuff, dude. Basically none of that. In fact, everything just got worse. I feel I feel really ripped off. Well, I know, especially right now, not to get into it and make it too real, but it feels like just, yeah, not hoverboards, not flying cars, not futuristic solutions to simple problems like health care or, or I don't know, anything. No, it just we're, feels going, like, we're going even backwards on some of that stuff. Man. I know. Anyways, anyways. You know what, though? Like, just just to pause for a moment, you've seen Back to the Future, of course. A million times. Right. Everybody in our generation has seen it a million, billion times. I haven't shown it to my son yet. What? Who is 10. He's really 10. We're slowly working through the classics. We're going through uh, all the all the old movies. You know, all the old movies. We're, we're going to get there, for sure. But the one thing that I really wanted... You know, everybody who's seen that movie, they had all that really futuristic tech, right? All the cool stuff in the future when Marty McFly uh, time travels. I mean, I don't know about you, dude. I know everybody wants like the hoverboard, and that looked really cool. But like my my uh, agility is really poor, and I've uh, I used to skateboard, and I broke an arm, and I just was not very good at it, and I and not good physically. So the thing that I really wanted most from that movie, not the hoverboard that everybody wants, but I wanted those like self vacuuming shoes, so you never have to like tie your own shoes. Oh you remember those? yes, I would totally take a pair of those right now. Man, I know that somebody tried to like recreate those recently, and I I guess that maybe it worked, but it's not like. You just walk into a Foot Locker and there's like 10 different varieties of them there. Like, I want those to be really common. Really disappointed we haven't gotten on that as a culture yet. You know what's so funny? You should mention that. I just ordered some new shoes that are pretty, I think, futuristic in at least one way. And I'll promote them right now. I don't get any money for saying this, but um, and I think they're sold out everywhere. But they're called Moves with a Z. Mm -hmm. uh, I think M-U-V-E-Z. And I sell them on Shark Tank. And they're shoes where they look pretty cool and kind of futuristic. But when you walk into a house, if you don't want to take your shoes off, but you still want to have something on your feet, you can basically just take off the shells, which is the the uh, the part on the bottom, and then you have these kind of like sock things on. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Isn't that cool? That is pretty neat because, you know, we do – I don't know about you, but we do a – I mean, I guess I, I always think of it as being an Asian style shoes off household. I don't know that other people do that or if they don't, but like I uh, have a lot of Asian people in my life and they're all their houses are shoes off. And so I just kind of think of it that way. Do you do mm -hmm. a shoes off? Uh, oh, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. And so this okay. is perfect for that. Maybe that's becoming not just an Asian thing. Maybe it's becoming just a thing now. Is that is that common with your friends? Do you know? I mean, you know what? It makes sense. There's dirt and crap on your feet. I know. Right. <laughs> like. We didn't do it when I was growing up. My mom and dad didn't care. But That's like true. now that I yeah, now that I'm growing up and now that I am the stay at home dad and now that I gotta clean the floors, I fucking care. I'm like, you take your goddamn shoes off because I am not cleaning up your mess. <laughs> or just get yourself a pair of moves. And by the way, please company send me ten percent 
or something. I don't know. Uh, hey, but, man, send me a free pair, and I will I'll pimp those shoes, too, man. Send me some swag. I, I paid hard cash for them. They're coming in the mail. Um, All right. That's All the right. only Fair future enough. we get is uh, we got fancy shoes that you can kind of take off part of them. That's our future. That's, that is a cool idea. All right. So enough uh, random bullshit. Do we have any housekeeping before we get into the games? You got I any housekeeping? Zero housekeeping. I have zero housekeeping as well because people took off their shoes and there's no dirt on my floor to clean up. So let's get right to the games. Carlos, we're going to start with you this week, sir. Corruption 2029, developed by who? The Bearded Ladies, which I love saying. Oh, wait a minute. What else have they made? Because that that name sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. I didn't do any research like we don't do on the show. Okay, you talk about Corruption 29. I don't know anything about it but i'm going to research the bearded ladies because i swear i've heard of them before um right. and not just in my dreams and <laughs> i will find out what games they make tell us about corruption 2029 yeah and i apologize for not bringing this uh earlier i had played this a little while ago and then kind of played a catch-up uh with it um a couple days ago and we got a code from them and i really wanted to talk about it it just fell off my radar because we play all of the games but this is corruption 2029 hey futuristic date i didn't even plan oh. that Mutant Year Zero, that's who it is. Yes, Mutant, yes, yes, Mutant, Mutant Year, Year Zero. Zero that's Which is very good. It is I, almost very good. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we had different opinions, but I enjoyed that. Um, it was pretty difficult, I think I remember, but I did like um, the tactics of it. So this is similar. This is well, a let, kind let's of... Pause for, let's talk about that for a second, because that, uh, that's a thing worth spending a moment on. Um, okay. Because, yeah, I agree with you. I like that game's style, love the style. Love the concepts. For people that don't know, uh, Mutant Year Zero is based on a board game or a tabletop game. You take three mutants in a post-apocalypse and you kind of like find human artifacts and there's a story. It's a very like XCOM tactics sort of thing. I thought it was great, but man, the difficulty curve on that is so far out of whack, dude. Did you finish that by any chance? No, not even close. No, no, no. I got real close and it just got so fucking hard at the end and so like repetitive and hard. It's, like, too hard, and they don't give you enough tactics to deal with the difficulty, so you end up just, like, having to grind. But, like, grinding is not easy in that game because there's not much to grind. They just, they just, oh, it was so close to being an awesome game, and they just, like, fucked it up right at the end. I think so. you scared me away from finishing that now that I'm reminding you. Oh, man. It. Um, and so hard. I did enjoy, again, the tactics of it and the look of it, and I like oh, the yeah, characters yeah. and everything. Yeah, um, totally, totally. So the character. So is there something similar, then, to this game? Because I haven't got further enough in it to know if it gets and ramps up like you said, you know, Mutant Year Zero does. But as it stands, it is a beautiful game. Instead of uh, mutants, you control these, uh, I guess they're like augmented units, maybe like half robotic. I really can't tell. They don't seem like, like they look humans. like people or what are they like? Yeah, they look like people, oh, okay. but they have All like right. kind of weird shapes for heads. And you can't really tell. Like, it feels like some of them might be real people, but for the most part, it just seems like in the future, dystopian future of what, nine years from now, um, we control like, you know, not humans for our war battles. So it's like it sounds like it's cyborg type people or not cyborg robots, really. And you command these uh, units. And again, tactics, XCOM style. It looks, game. It looks like a tax, uh, an XCOM sort of thing. Yep, like yep. Uh, top top down ish. Top down-ish. Uh, beautiful. Again, they really kill it when they're graphics. Uh, the graphics were so nice looking that my computer said, I don't think so. <laughs> it said, nah, dog. It said, uh, get a better computer. So I had to bump it down to medium. But that being said, even medium, it looked really great. It just kind of ran a little weird. Um, 
And yes, I'm getting a new computer. We just talked about that before the podcast. But it, it's really awesome looking. It's that kind of look of... Um, remember Division 2? Uh, yeah. I love how Division 2 made... It's a post-apocalyptic dystopian future, but also realistic. And it starts like in kind of the woods area, and you see like all these like futuristic, you know, blown up vehicles and really interesting uh, landscape that makes you feel like it's a real world. And I love games that really can do that. It doesn't feel sparse. It doesn't feel like you're playing a game with just like graphical assets laid down. It feels like a real world. So that part I liked a lot. Uh, again, back to why probably I like Mutant Year Zero. I think the tactics are done really well. I always feel like, at least for now, I have a fighting chance. Let me you know? let me ask you a question about the tactics, dude. Because mm-hmm. so I think probably most people listening to this podcast are familiar with like the XCOM style, where you have a group of people. There's specialists. You have like a sniper. You have a healer. You have a I don't know assault person with a shotgun. Like everybody's got a little role, mm-hmm. and then you kind of move them step by step. So that's like the base that I think most tactics games work from, and it works really well. I like that. Um, in Mutant Year Zero. The bearded ladies had a spin where they really emphasized stealth. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but like what, like in that game, their hook was to take the basic XCOM formula. And then they wanted you to um, sneak up on people all the time, because a lot of times you were like outnumbered or overpowered. And so you would have to sneak around the edges of the map, locate the enemies first, try to like silently assassinate them or as many of them as you could. And then hopefully it didn't devolve into a firefight. If it did, then it became like more of a regular XCOM sort of thing. So they already have proven they know the formula and they know that they need to iterate on it to keep things interesting. What is the strategy hook here in Corruption 2029? Like what is, is there a twist? Is it just straight up XCOM stuff? Is there a hook to it? Like what is it? Yeah, it doesn't feel like straight up XCOM stuff. It feels like at least at the beginning, because I haven't played enough hours really to know if it kind of switches up at some point. But at least the beginning, it feels similar to what you just said. It's that stealthy approach. Oh, they're Um, staying with stealth this time. I think so. I mean, again, it might open up and change. Um, So let's do this thing where I I come back to it because I'm still playing it. Um, And so for for the most part in the beginning, I was stealthy. And that's how I was tackling most of the early mission. Um, But I will say this, from how much I like it, which I like it quite a bit. um, And again, it's stealthy. And again, like I was saying, I feel like I always have a good chance with this game. And some other difficult XCOM games, I feel like I make one wrong move and I feel like I've fucked up the whole thing. Do you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. You like one one missed shot, one guy takes a, takes a hit that he wasn't supposed to take, everybody falls apart, it's right. chaos, the enemies start pushing in. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, and in the these both of these games that I've played by them, I never feel that. I feel like if I messed up, it's probably on me. Which is great. Like that's like why I was having so much fun with Mutant Year Zero until you told me to stop playing. Oh, but... dude, I saved you from so much heartache. Okay, you don't okay. Even okay. Know. Well, this one might be know. different. So let's let me finish this one. And yeah, again, yeah. I would say uh, highly recommend it for people who like XCOM. Um, I need to get more into it and get you know deeper into the mission. See if they change that behavior of the gameplay. But for now, it felt stealthy. For now, it felt like doable. And it's really beautiful, and I really—it's like this dark, uh, realistic vibe that feels like the division. So if you like the division two, um, and think of that as like an XCOM game, that's what this game is. Um, I mean, this sounds great, dude. Like this is this is definitely on my radar. I believe it's PC only for now, isn't that correct? Yeah, and I got it in the Epic Game Store, which is you know a weirder thing these days. Like sometimes you're like, oh yeah, they have a whole library of games that sometimes are exclusive. 
Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. But I will say this though. The only caveat is there was one bug in the early beginning where I could not shoot somebody. And yeah, I know my like troops weren't very skilled yet, but I mean, I was like pretty much point blank and it was just missing. And I was like, that's, that's is really, it, is really this wrong. one of those what thing where you like it shows you the percentage to hit? Like, do you have like a ninety five percent chance to hit, or like, how does how does that part work out? Because everybody, I'm sure everybody knows like the famous like you've got a ninety eight percent chance to hit a guy in XCOM, and of course you miss. You hit that like two percent, and then your whole your whole mission goes screwy. Is it the same thing? They do the percentage, or what? How do you know if you're going to hit or not? Uh, yeah, it's the percentage. But now I'm trying to remember because I feel like they do something different, um, and I should have written that down. I don't remember. I remember there was some sort of percentage but i felt like something was off about it i'll have to do my due diligence yeah, and go yeah, back uh but i will say that i was like you could percentages aside i was next to the motherfucker you know what i mean yeah i was like totally. hi hi i can see you you could see me right we're like near each other so i had to like have this one guy like literally go up to him and shoot him in the head and then it worked but i was like i think it was just a bug uh, all right so all besides right. that bug i highly recommend uh, Corruption 2029 for a futuristic Division 2 meets XCOM and I'm going to keep playing it to see if it ramps up a difficulty or changes its mechanics. Alright, Corruption 2029 currently I believe it's only for PC uh, put out by the Bearded Ladies and last question, is this early access or is this a finished uh, finished review copy? No, it looked like a finished game because it's 20 bucks I was going to say which is a great price because oh, it's like yeah, a full-fledged game okay. and yeah, I think it's just done. It's single player too so it's not a, a multiplayer game it's like excellent, a go excellent. in you know lose yourself in a kind of a strategy game as a one-player thing and i love that so i do too i'm gonna check this out hopefully they're gonna bring it to other platforms because i don't play anything on pc but the bearded ladies came so close to having a super awesome game with uh, mutant year zero so close um so i will definitely give this a shot i think they've got it in them and uh they're they're due for a hit so i'm gonna check this cool. out Cool, excellent. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, over to me real quick. I will go talk about a game called Profane, uh, which I am playing on the Switch. It is developed by Overpowered Team. That is a the name of their team, not a description. Although it may be a description also. Who knows? I don't know them personally. Uh, this is a top-down, roguelike, uh, also bullet hell game on the Switch. Uh, the core premise... And it's also boss rush. There's a lot of little categories I could put this into. Roguelike, top-down, bullet hell, boss rush. Mm. All those things put together. Uh, there's not much of a story. Basically, you're some kind of a spirit or something, and your other brethren spirits have like gone rogue, and so you need to go and take them down. Um, there's no overworld. There's no levels or anything. It is strictly a boss rush. So like you start in your little um, like hub zone. You have two books. Each one has uh, powers to choose from. At the beginning, you have nothing. You just have a little pea shooter. So you go fight uh, the tutorial boss, and the tutorial boss's name is Tutorial, which I oh, I, I see what they did there. I get it. Uh, this game is pretty hard, bro. I got to the tutorial battle. It took me, I think, five or six tries to get past the very first tutorial boss. Oh, that's um, not fun at all. No, it was. I was a little bit surprised by how difficult it was. And a little bit put off. I'm like, okay, I just started your game. I'm just learning your systems. And I can't get past the tutorial boss whose name is Tutorial. Uh, I feel a little bit, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit discouraged right now. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I hung in there. It took me five or six tries, got past him. And once you get past the tutorial boss, you get, uh, I want to say it's like two powers. 
uh, which are then recorded in the books that go in your hub. And so when you go, you beat, you beat that guy, you go back to the hub, then you can choose what you want to do. I'm sure that eventually these books will be full of like dozens of powers. But at the time that I was playing it, I only had uh, one power, which was like a dodge and one power, which was a charge up laser beam. And then I just had my pea shooter. So I equip all those things. I go to the next boss and it's like, it's also really hard, dude. Like, I'm just like, Oh my God, these oh my are God. tough. And exactly, exactly. Um, but can I rewind but, for a minute? Can I re- yeah, go back? Yeah, absolutely. When absolutely. I don't think all of our listeners, including me know what a boss rush game is. That okay, terminology kind of like I lost me on that. That is a good question. Thank you for, for calling me on that. So boss rush is basically a game where you just play boss after boss, after boss, after boss, after boss. And there's no levels. There's no exploring the world. There is no world. There's just boss fights. So mm. if you want to just pure boss fights, um, there's not a lot of these games. It's not a huge genre. And I do kind of enjoy them when they're done well. But I think really the trick is to do them well. Uh, Profane definitely airs on the side of being kind of brutal. And it's also like um, a bullet hell, which is not my favorite genre. And and for those people that don't know what a bullet hell is, uh, it's a it's usually a shooter kind of game. Usually you have a spaceship or an airplane or something. And you're flying either, you know, from the bottom of the screen to the top or to the left or the right. And the screen is just covered in patterns of bullets, usually like multicolored bullets, like red and blue is usually the most popular, where like the whole screen is just covered in like this grid of bullets. And it's up to you to either dodge them or to figure out like how to absorb them or to get around them. So like just like dealing with the bullets is like a large part of bullet hell gameplay. Got to be honest, not my favorite genre. It's a very, very specific niche. It has a very vocal and enthusiastic core group of fans um and no disrespect to them but it is not my favorite genre i'm not great at these games i just don't think they're that fun i just don't like bullet hell games and to be honest with you i did not realize profane was a bullet hell game when i uh, got into it it looked like a top-down roguelike which you know i'm a a fan of those i play every single roguelike on the switch Mm -hmm. um but i did not realize it was a bullet hell so that's on me my bad um so i got into it got to the first boss not including the tutorial boss and I just couldn't beat him, dude. I just couldn't beat him. Uh, I had the weapons that I had. I practiced a bunch of times. I got real close a bunch of times. But it's the kind of game where you either do it or you don't, right? Like, you, if you do the boss and you fail, like, you don't level up. You don't earn any points of any kind. You're not slowly getting stronger. It's like you just keep doing it until you do it. And so that's fine sometimes. Um, I probably would have really loved this game when I was, like, 20 years younger. But I just... <laughs> When you I had mean, more life in you, you're like, listen, yeah, right? I can deal with that because I'm younger. and Yeah, not, yeah, you know. exactly. When I had more life in me, when I had more energy, when I had like, when I had, when I felt like I had something to prove, I don't have anything to prove these days, dude. I've put in my dues. I'm living life. I want to have a fun life, enjoy my life. And like this kind of game, no, no disrespect again, but this is not the kind of game that I'm up for these days. Like just throwing yourself into the meat grinder over and over and over and over until you practice, practice, practice until you get it right. And then you beat it. And then the next boss is inevitably harder. I mean, the theory of this game is like beat the next boss, get new powers, mix and match the powers until you find a match that suits you or is a good fight for the boss. And then beat that boss and keep going. It's a cool formula. Like it makes sense and it works. It just like this game is just too hard for me and I just don't like bullet hell gaming in general. So I got to just nope out. Like I got to the first boss. I'm sure people are going to think that I'm soft or I'm a loser or I suck at games. Oh, they can think what they want. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, but it's like this is just not – It's I think it's cool. I think it's well done if you're a Bullet Hell fan, if you are a – one of those fans of just like boss rush, like real rough. I mean I think this is great. I think this is a great game. 
it is just not what I'm in the market for these days. You so. know, it reminds me of is like when you talk about being younger and having like more oomph to like prove yourself. Like um, bullet hell games essentially kind of come from uh, shooter games. So back in the day in the arcade, especially you know, Space Invaders being the first one, but then after that, a million kind of side-scrolling shooter games were all the rage and people were like trying to get to the next board and get the highest score. Yeah. And when I was younger, I was one of those people too. Like I was like, oh, I can do this. I can navigate Matrix style through all this bullet hell because it wasn't called that back then. It was just called a shooter. Right. And you were like trying to be the best at that. And yeah, I think I had more like energy and passion to, to make it. But now I don't give two shits about shooters. Like I don't want to go near anything that's like shooting a million things at me. I'm like, I, ah, you know, Ben that son, Ben that seen that, done that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still enjoy those once in a while. As long, I mean, it's like, I just I've played all the hard games, right? Like I've put in my dues. I mean, you name like any, you name ten hard games that are known for their difficulty. I've probably beaten at least half of them, right? Like I have done my time. I just don't want to do it anymore. Just don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I would rather you don't have to play something that's laid back and that is interesting or has a good story or that I can explore a little bit. And then I want to put that game down without being angry. And then I'm going to go snuggle with my wife on the couch. Like I don't want to like beat myself up over it. So I think it's, I think it's a totally fine game. I don't have any criticisms of it in terms of like design or production. I think it looks good. I think it handles really well. I think it's a good solid idea. It's just not what I'm in the market for, but if you want um, a roguelike or a boss rush or a bullet hell, or something like that, like real heavy on the action on the Switch. I think it's a great game, just not for me. All right. All right, Carlos, throwing it back to you. You are going to be talking about Pong Quest. And who is this developed by? Uh, Checkered Inc. Uh, Checkered. Is with that INC or INK? INK and with a Q for Checkered. Che- oh, C- fancy. C- yeah. Okay. So yeah. Pong Quest, I mean, I'm, I, mean I, I know what Pong is. Maybe people in our listening audience don't know what pong is in fact it's funny my son didn't know what pong was until i think last week we just figured out what pong was so oh, yeah well, it's a maybe, perfect segue maybe tell us what pong is and then tell us about pong quest yeah i'll talk about pong and also we were just talking about arcades and shooters and this podcast will now slowly become a history lesson um but yeah pong was in the 70s uh made by developed and published by this company called atari which some people know atari now is just a publisher uh, I, uh, fun or interestingly enough, uh, this game was published by Atari, uh, and developed by Checkered Inc. But so yeah, uh, Atari actually published this game, which is cool. Uh, kind of a throwback, but Pong back in the day in the seventies and later on when I was born and we, we were born in the eighties was still around. And in the early days, it was an actual arcade cabinet with two kind of, um, what are they called? Ro- not rollers. Um, like paddles, paddles. Or, paddles yeah. yeah. Which are those things where you kind of, you know, kids don't even know paddles. No, kids don't even know what paddles are, dude. You got what is a paddle, Carlos? Yeah, paddles like a circle that you can turn like a knob. It's a knob. It's, yeah, it's like a, a big, big knob. <laughs> Which brings me to my next question: What is a knob, Carlos? Because <laughs> nice. we don't have knobs anymore. Yeah, yeah. Everything's a button. Everything's touchscreen, Carlos. Everything's touchscreens. Carlos, days. tell us about the past. Well, kids, gather around the fire. That was a, it was it was an old snowy day for some reason it was old as well because it was the olden times of course and we went to the arcade which was also a place you went to anyways it was an arcade camera it had these like knobs you would turn and it would control these two like horizontal lines um, vertical lines I'm sorry vertical lines yeah uh, that you one person was on the left side one person on the right side there was a little ball in the middle 
a la tennis or any other kind of sport like that. I mean, and to you, be fair, it was like a single pixel. It was like a white pixel. Yeah, it was a it white little a square. Well, it was not yeah. a single pixel. It was actually like a collection of pixels. Cause maybe maybe four. Four yeah. at the most. And then you would hit it back and forth and try to score on each other like, you know, air hockey, right? It's air hockey, but digitally. Yeah, there you go. It's yeah. like air hockey, but digitally. It's funny, it's funny that we're even talking about this now because – um, right before COVID-19 hit, when I was still doing some traveling, um, I was supposed to do like a lot of traveling this year. Most of it got canceled, but my last trip, I went to Alabama. And in Alabama, I didn't realize this until I was flying out, but there's actually like a game museum there. What I didn't even know. I, I oh, saw it play cool. at the airport as I was getting ready to board. And I'm like, oh, shit. I would have totally gone to see this if I had known it was here. Anyway, they have a little display at the airport, and they had a giant pong cabinet set up that you could go play for free and my son who's 10 he's you know he knows he knows what arcade games are right because we go to like the retro game expo and so he's seen those and he's like oh dad it's an arcade game let's go check it out i go check it out it's pong he's like what is this he's like how do you control it and there's like two panels on he's like what is he's like (laughs) what are these things why what are these knobs he's like is this a game i'm like yeah all right it's pong so like let me He's like, you just turn it. I'm like, yeah, it's all you do is turn. It. It's like air hockey. Well, yeah. here's the thing. It's just, it's an age old thing. It's tennis. It's it's air hockey. It's all those things. It's the same yeah. game, yes, right? Yes. So again, in the old days, it was simple, and then later on, it became a home console. So that's how I played it. Uh, you could actually put it in your TV, and you're like, holy shit, I can play pong on TV. And then later on, uh, millions of games, including Breakout. Uh, would copy this kind of idea and technique of you controlling oh, yeah. some sort tons, of paddle, tons. right? The paddle is essentially that little line. Uh, in most cases, it's vertical. That kind of blocks or pushes a ball around. Okay, jump to the future. Pong Quest, I've seen for a while. I've been following it for quite a while on my IM Games field. And excited for it to come out. It's finally out. I forgot how much it was because I don't do my research, but it's cheap. I bought it right away. It's it's cheap. It's under 20 bucks, I think. Okay. And it is an RPG mixed with uh, Pong. So essentially, you have a little character. He's a paddle. He's a young paddle. And he has to go into different dungeons uh, for the kingdom and defeat, you know, other paddles, essentially other people. Does he look like there. a little vertical line? What yeah. What does he look like? Yeah, 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 totally. And you can dress him up in different outfits. And, of course, when you uh, get loot, you get new outfits. You get, you know, clothing and helmets and eye masks and whatever you can think of and it really did make me feel like me though because i had this like stupid like one white line paddle but then i put on a skull t-shirt headphones you know things i would wear if he's just a line how are you putting a shirt on him what does that even look like i just think of a line with a, a shirt on it how so it's like a that? shirt was just like a little line of pixels like straight through coming out the neck hole i mean he's pretty big he's not like you're a traditional small Oh, he's like a thicker. A he's thicker a thicker paddle. paddle. He's a. Th- is that what two C's? He's the thick oh, paddle. Oh, jeez. This. I'm hip. I'm just hip. watch the, the trailer. <laughs> anyway, so you go in and you. I I really like how the the paddle guy controls. Like it's really simple. It's kind of uh, he walks around the screen, but I just like how it feels. I don't know why. It's it's kind of like a, a Zelda where you go into a dungeon, run around. You know the dungeon map. Go to different boards go to the door go to another board go through the door go through another board and you're getting loot the whole time and any other paddle guy you see in there you're fighting and the minute you fight him you touch him it goes into a battle and then you're doing pong um now the pong is fun and you have different uh i guess they're balls whatever you want to call the the actual thing you hit back and forth like let's call it a ball and you get different abilities on the ball 
So you can only can you can only carry like two in the beginning, and then later on you can carry more. But essentially, you pick the ones you want to carry when you find them. So you find like a super bouncy one, or you find like um, a super heavy damage one, or one that like makes the ball go crazy town and go like you know up and down and and fool the other person. Now the key thing is whenever you block and you're blocking with your paddle or yourself, you take damage. So oh, you, every single time, every single time. And then when you score on them, you take more damage. So it's basically like a stamina fight, really. And you're like choosing different, let's call it ball abilities to hurt your enemy even more than normal or to block. One of the abilities is like you create a whole series of uh, breakout like um, blocks in front of you. So essentially think of like Arkanoid or breakout like and all those kind of uh, blocks appear in front of your paddle. And so gotcha. you're, he has to like essentially play a game against himself until he gets through those. It's so fun, man. It's like so easy. Talk about the opposite of the last game we just talked about. Anyone can pick up this game. It's got a split screen co-op. It's got online co-op. I mean, PVP. Uh, I shouldn't have said co-op. I mean, split screen PVP, online PVP. So you can play this with anybody. And you can also play it as yourself, one player. And it's super fun. It's just what I thought it would be. It's super fun, silly. You upgrade your character, and you go to the next dungeon. It's really fun. I can't say anything else about it. I mean, it sounds interesting. Is it uh, where? What what platform are you playing this on? My PC. On PC. Is it on other platforms? Do you know? You know what? Who does research? I bet it might be on the Switch, though. Let's look it up. Let's look it up use because the, this sounds like something I might want to chip away at, like right before bed, maybe, or like when I'm. Although I think it, the control really makes a difference because, like, I use the controller. I use my Xbox controller on my PC, mm-hmm. and it feels pretty easy to use. I'm actually using the analog stick. Wow! Um, I would like a paddle. Going back to paddles, I think this game would kill with a with like a separate paddle that they would sell or something. Um. But it's working pretty well with my analog, and I think it's going to be on all the systems, if it's not already. All right. Why don't you keep researching? I will jump to the next game, and hopefully by that time, you will know okay. what other But I recommend it. Oh, my goodness. For a history lesson, uh, for like a simple, in quotes, RPG that just basically is Pong. Um, and also, like if you want to like just get on the couch and play old school Pong again, but with a new twist, Pong Quest. There you go. There That's you a go. box quote. You can box quote it box quote all right thank you carlos uh continue research let us know um we have one more game and then we have a real quick q a folks and then we're going to wrap this up uh last game of the episode is sunless sea the submariner edition that's submariner with a z uh this is coming from fail better games uh makers of fallen london and a couple other things uh i have had my eye on this for ages for literally years i don't know when this came out it came out a while ago and a friend of mine uh bought it for me on pc because they knew that i was really excited about it uh i played it for a few minutes and i'm like i just i don't play pc games i really want to play this but i can't play it on pc i don't want to so i didn't get into it and i just waited and i'm like you know what this is totally going to hit platform someday uh fast forward to like i don't know two years later three years later whatever it is finally on the switch finally on ps4 finally on xbox one i can finally play it on console very excited um 
Sunless Sea, it's hard to describe. It's basically kind of like a... The story is basically London on Earth falls into a giant hole in the Earth. So, like, it, it becomes subterranean London. And there's also, like, an ocean underneath the Earth's surface. So, like, it falls underneath. You're trapped in this giant cave. The whole world is basically now subterranean. And you are a ship captain. Uh, the ship is a very small little ship. It's shown from a top-down view. And you start out at a harbor, and you, like, drive around to other harbors that are in the ocean. Uh, the the mood and the writing is kind of like everything in this game. Like, it's very, like, Lovecraftian. There's, like, darkness everywhere. You don't know what creepy crawly monsters are out in the darkness. Everybody's kind of like this um, fancy person. They speak kind of like in um, old-timey English a little bit. Uh, everything is kind of like steampunky and it's got a really cool vibe to it. I love the vibe. There's a ton of reading in this game. Like it's almost, it's not a visual novel, but I feel like it's verging on visual novel territory because at, at the start of the game, they talk about your character. They go into great detail about his backstory and you can create that and choose where you want to be from. But there's like a lot of stuff to read. Like there's like little descriptions of everything. Everybody you meet has like a page of text to read about them. Um, so if you like to read, if you like narrative, this is really cool. Uh, and, and so I start the game and I'm going to have to like be real brutally honest with you guys. I, I, I did not get off on the right foot with this game because to be frank, I didn't understand what kind of game it was. Like I liked the graphics. I liked the style. I liked the narrative, but when it came down to actually playing, I just did not understand what I was supposed to be doing, which is something that doesn't happen to me very often as a game critics for like, like the last 20 years and a game player for like almost the last 40. Um, so basically what happens was I had to jump online. I had to talk to some people and be like, what is going on in this game? I don't get it. What is happening? Looked up some wikis and stuff. And so basically when you get down to it, take away the narrative, take away the Cthulhu style, take away the top-down ship piloting. Um, it's kind of like an economic sim, which really surprised me. Uh, I was not expecting that. Um, I, it's not a style of game that I really care for. Uh, so, so basically what happens is you have to explore this world, this, this subterranean sea, but you're constantly running out of supplies. You're constantly running out of fuel. And so what you need to do is you need to go to find things that you can sell in order to have enough supplies to keep going. So basically, you're like going to the next town. What do they need over here? Find out what they need and then like go to the third town that has it and then go back and sell them the thing that was more valuable here. And you're making a profit here. You use that profit to buy a thing here. You go to the other town and sell it back over there. And you're kind of going back and forth and like slowly profiteering while you're reading a lot of stories. So like every town that you get to has a bunch of stories, like tons of stories to read, lots of description, lots of characters. Um, but it's basically just text. So I was really kind of confused because from appearances and from what I knew about the game, I thought it was going to be more of a roguelike exploration with story. But it's actually a really heavy duty economic sim where it's like 12 different currencies, 55 different uh. kinds of like items. Lots of stuff to buy and sell. You should really keep... Everybody I talked to said keep a notebook like on a piece of paper and pen because you'll need to write down who's got which supplies in which city and how much they're going for. And like I, all that like brought me down like so hard. Like I didn't really want to engage in any of that stuff. It's not my thing. I don't like doing that. It's kind of it's kind of boring, honestly. Well, like whose thing is it? Because I remember hearing this now that you were talking about it uh, when it came out on the PC. And this was very much the uh, opinion of a lot of people was like, what is this game... Yet, I want to get through the mire of it because I want to uh, know the story. Like, are they, like there's an ending to the story, right? Yeah, there is. There is. I mean, yeah. it's a 
it's a roguelike so you um you start off as a captain that captain can die i mean there's also a non-roguelike version but i'm playing the, the normal version just because i want to experience it how it was meant to be um and every time you die you start with a new captain the previous captain can pass some stuff on to the next captain it's not a lot but some stuff can get passed on but the problem i guess part of the problem with this is that every time the captain dies the stuff that you discovered on the map changes like the location of it changes and so you don't even have a map that's persistent so like like you'll go to like this one city and it's like oh i know that they sell xyz here for 50 bucks or whatever i oh oh, but i died can i go back there oh shit it's not there anymore so well, i don't that doesn't make any sense then what's i the, know it's, what's it's the story of, like, meaning behind that i mean i don't know i don't know that there's actually justification for it um oh. and they don't it, it's like they they modify the locations a little bit not wildly but like enough to like make it kind of difficult and so not caring for the economic sim part and like the roguelike part i felt like was pretty rough um although to be fair there is a, a non-roguelike part um i don't know dude i just i love the style of this game i love the visuals i love the stories i love the themes i love the lovecraft lovecraft flavor like like looking at this game on paper i'm like this is my shit this game looks really really cool i really want to get into this but actually playing it is really boring like i think going back and forth between the the ports selling goods here selling goods there, having to like 25 different currencies or whatever it's just not interesting like it's really boring and really tedious i'm sure that some people love this game and i, I do know that people like economic sims like there are some people out there who dig those and you know if that's your jam go for it but like i i guess i just thought this game was going to be different than it really was and the meat of gameplay is not enough to hook me even though i like basically every other thing about it well you know what how many times have we said expectations is everything yeah and yeah. the expectation for this like if the trailer made more like explained it better or whatever and you know i'm also like as i work on a game learning from a lot of what not to do you know when it comes to yeah. game development i think a lot of it, it comes into like hey here's what to expect in this game and here's kind of what this game is about um i like that the fact that you said that at least they have the other options so if i like the style enough and wanted to like see the story i could probably get through it if i used yeah. the other option yeah you um, give you a chance to save before you die. I mean, it also kind of like auto saves every now and again. But um, if you die, you die. You can you can save so that if you actually die, you can just restore your same character. So it's not completely starting over. But it doesn't really get rid of the fact that for me, I didn't really care for the gameplay. And I'm glad you said that about expectations, because when I saw the tr the most recent trailer for this, like like folks, if you don't know what this game looks like, go to YouTube, look for the most recent Switch trailer. That trailer looks awesome. Like it's like a little ship piloting through the darkness there's like a little light and it's spooky it goes over the water there's like a giant eyeball in the water and you're like oh my god there's big monsters in the water i'm probably gonna do that you like oh it shows god. the combat where you're like you know shooting a little cannon at a little monster and it seems like it's an actiony sort of a thing and yeah. it kind of is at moments but like really it's about shuttling goods back and forth and dealing with currencies and i really don't think the trailer shows that and it doesn't i mean i don't know how you even show that in a trailer but i think it's really unfortunate because when i got into this i had one idea of what it was going to be and then when i started playing it i'm like oh wow this is yeah not at all what i thought it was going to be so i love everything about it except the gameplay and i feel really <laughs> bad to say that but i mean yeah. oh man it's so cool in so many ways well and also i you know i think that a lot of um we talk about a lot of indie games in this uh show uh, a lot of people work on their first game and then their second or third game has that same style but is better or yeah you know has different gameplay or something so yeah. I mean, if they took everything about this game and just made it not about dealing with currency and buying and selling stuff and just made it about 
the world and the combat and the exploration, I would one million percent be down for that. Like totally. They might. I just I just don't want to buy and sell stuff. Yeah, they might. Let's yeah. keep, keep so an we'll eye see. on them. That was Sunless Sea uh, Submariner Edition uh, coming from Failbearder Games. So, folks, those are all the games we're covering in the show, but we do have one little piece of Q&A. Carlos does not know what this question is. And, in fact, we got this question, like, 19 years ago. Like, actually, before we even started the podcast. Before we even met each other. Before we even met each other. I've been holding on to this question forever, and I apologize because our good friend and our good fan, Jeroen in Germany, we haven't heard from him in a while, but he did send in this email. Uh, and I just, I forgot about it for a while. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I forgot about it for a while uh, because I... Oh, a while is 19 years. A long time. Okay. Uh, and then, right right as we were about to do it, like the COVID-19 thing happened and then the podcast kind of like got all wonky and life got wonky. And I just like, I just, it's, I mean, I don't have an excuse. Jeroen, I apologize. I should have talked about this a million years ago. Uh, so it's my bad. I, I, I will uh, buy you a bunch of rolls of toilet paper to make up for it when we get out of this quarantine thing. Uh, so thank you for still being a listener, and I apologize for not answering your question sooner. But let's get to it now. No further delay. Um, there was a political aspect to this, which we're not going to discuss because we don't do politics on the show. People fucking hate it when we talk about politics on the show, I think. But we will talk about the other part of the question. So he says, question for your show. Again, coming from Jeroen in Germany. My question is, could you live with an old school, quote unquote, dumb phone? And do you think it's extremely wasteful to regularly and automatically reach for a smartphone the minute you have nothing to do? For example, 10 years ago, I was in a Hawaiian restaurant looking at other couples who were all occupied with their smartphones. I didn't have my myself. At, uh, I did not have one myself at the time. Now that I do, I'm spending way too much time on it. It fucks up my short term memory. It makes me really passive and mentally numb. Like I consume media instead of wandering uh, into things and thinking about new ideas. So I decided to ditch my smartphone for a dumb phone. I have a Nokia 3310. I guess it's, I don't know what that is. Flip phone, maybe. I don't know. But the problem is I don't have a podcast app. And if you and Carlos, also parentheses, hi, Carlos. Uh, if you and Carlos are honest, don't you think your life would improve if you got rid of your smartphone? Carlos, I will let you answer first. Oh, my goodness. It's an awesome question. And hi. Um, yeah. So I was just thinking about it pretty quickly. And I was thinking about a time before I had a smartphone. Okay. And I also had a, <clears throat> you have, you go to a dumb phone first. Like right? we had like early text messaging and stuff like that. Then you got this thing that yes, most people pick up a million times a day. So I know that I could live without it cause I did. And I was thinking about kind of a subset question, what I had, like, what did I have to keep my attention? Like when I was out, like saying having lunch somewhere. Right. And like, like he said, the example of like being at a restaurant. So what I had was, and Brad, tell me if this is similar to you. I would always had a notebook with me. And I remember that I would always draw in my notebook or write things down, um, like planning things. So my organizer that would normally be on my smartphone was my notebook. Um, I always had a book with me, which I still do to this day, probably most of the time and a magazine. And I feel like the magazine was the kind of like, Hey, what's going on in the world? You know, like look at the front page or like the first part of it. And they'd be like, this is happening in science. This is happening in technology. This is happening around the world. And then for podcasts, which I listened to back then in the ancient days, uh, I had my MP3 player. Did you have one of those? I never did, but I'm not much of a oh. music guy. But I know everybody that I, I knew had one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's how I heard my music, but also my podcast. Like I would download the podcast I want to listen to. 
and they would be on that MP3 player. So I literally, I don't know if it's better or worse, but without a smartphone, um, I essentially did all those same things with like four different things in my bag. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think that's. I totally know what you mean. I 100% know what you mean. I think it's, that's what I just decided. It is hilarious. It's hilarious that you said it. Okay, so again, I'm old enough. I remember when all we had was a phone, as in a landline phone, like with the little curly cord. So there was definitely life before smartphones. Absolutely. And I know that if smartphones somehow went away, like if we used up all the rare earth minerals that we need to make these and we just don't have any more, like, I mean, there's a, there's a reality in which we don't have smartphones anymore. So um, do I feel like smartphones make me dumber? No. Um, I know that when I first got one, I will agree with you, Drew. And when I first got one, I was constantly looking at it and I had several conversations with people where I'm like, Oh my God, I can't put this phone down. It's really weird that I constantly pick this phone up. But you know, now that I've had a phone for a number of years, I'm used to it. Like I am more conscious of how I use it. I try to not pick it up when I'm like with my wife or when I'm with my son. Like I try to be very, you know, aware uh, and not be on it 24 seven. So that's one thing. And I think that's a personal, you know, personal discipline sort of a thing. Uh, But also what, you know, when I didn't have my smartphone, what did I do? I always had a book. I always carried a book because I didn't want to get stuck somewhere and be bored. Um, And that was basically it. Like I just carried a book or I carried comics with me if I had some comics or something. Um, And that was it. And I tried not to be in places where I was bored. As soon as a 3D, as soon as a, a Game Boy was invented, I had a Game Boy. So instead of being bored, I would do a Game Boy or you know, I did not, uh, I had a Walkman for a while when those first came out. So I had a Walkman for a while. Uh, and you know, you, like, you, you brought other stuff. It's not like, you know, it's not like you just sat there and like all of a sudden we're like a deeper, more intelligent person because right. you're contemplating the mysteries of the universe. You were scrounging for stuff to do because you were fucking bored all the time. And just exactly like what you said, Carlos, we simply do all those things in one device now, rather than having a book and an MP3 player and a magazine and uh, whatever 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 like you just you just have one thing that does it all now and i think i think humans are just kind of doers in general i don't think we like to be bored and i think it's just a a a balance between i have nothing to do therefore i will engage with my device and do something that i want to do or i will engage with the people around me and i think that i mean i think maybe that's the balance that drew is talking about really it's not that we're starving for things to do or that we have too many things to do with our time i think really the difference that he's talking about is conscientiously engaging with life around you when it is, you know, when there's something going on. And I, I totally agree with that. Like be with your family, be with your kids, be with your partner. Right. If you're in a, you know, if you're at the grand Canyon, look at the fucking grand Canyon. Don't be on Twitter. You know, like if you're at some place that something's happening or a concert or something like engage with what you're doing. But I don't think that smartphones themselves make you dumber or numb or anything. I think it's just about how you use it. It's just it's a, it's all like anything else. Like use it well or use it poorly. You know. Let me let me go back to the actual question because I, <clears throat> I realized I didn't even address it. I just went into like what I did in the past. But I think it was important because it's going to kind of inform these next um, answers I'm going to give. Yes, I don't think it makes you dumber. But what you just said is very important, Brad. You mentioned Twitter, so phones make it easier. Uh, than having to collect all these five things, like the Game Boy, my magazine, my MP3 player. It makes it easier, which does make it more, um, what's the word, kind of in, in, enticing sure, for sure. someone to be like, well, I could just pick this up and do 12 things right now. But secondly, social media is a huge part of that. Social media and Instagram and all that stuff that is so immediate, in quotes, immediate, makes and is very, um, again, enticing for someone to 
want to be on it all the time because there's worth there. They think there's some sort of value that value add that they should be part of or should be involved in. So I think that is dangerous. And that part of the smartphone, I think, could make you not dumber, but there's another word there. I'm not sure what it is, but I think it's dangerous. And I think that it was different. Like when I was scrounging with my Game Boy and it only had so much batteries, by the way, because they were like real batteries. Uh, and I was like finding my book and I was reading it and whatever. Those are things that I chose to do because I chose to do them. They weren't just like flippant, like banal, you know, experiences. Right, right. And I think there's more like passive bullshit experiences on the phone. So I think maybe that's really where the answer is, is com- that I'm le- um, leaning on is it's not dumber, but it's, it is some sort of uh, passive path that is troublesome to me. I mean, I, I would agree with that. And I think that kind of gets back to my point about conscientious use. You know, like my wife, for example, uh, I mean, with all the stuff going on in the world, I mean, with Trump and COVID-19 and like, you know, the economics and global warming. I mean, there's a lot of scary stuff out there. And a phone is a real quick way to like tap into, you know, news. Hopefully it's good news, but also just like different stories and things that people send your way. And so like, you know, you can't really get caught up in that cycle of like, oh, my God, I'm just reading one story after another and not really like doing a lot and not really acting on any of that information and just kind of like scaring yourself and just absorbing all these weird stories. Mm -hmm. So that can happen too. And sometimes I'll, I'll go to my wife and I'll be like, honey, you got to put that phone down. I don't care what you're doing because you're getting your, you're freaking yourself out with this phone. So you got to like judge how much you're taking in, what you're taking in and not just sit there and just be like a, a worry sponge and absorb everything that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram are shoveling your way. So that's one part of it. But I think on the other hand, getting back to the analogy about a phone being a tool, I mean, I think, it's great because I interact with friends and I've made so many more friends since I've had a smartphone because I can send somebody a text message. I can FaceTime with somebody real quick. I can jump on Twitter and send somebody a DM or something. And so I feel like I have a lot more friends that I am in touch with. And I've met a lot of friends that I've, I've met online. I know that like, the old way of thinking is like, Oh, online friends are not your real friends. Well, that's, I call bullshit on that because I've met so many people that I met online first and then met them in real life. And like 99% of them, super cool people that I end up being really good friends with. Uh, and a lot of them are like around here. So I think it's a great way to be in touch with people and a good way to connect in other ways that wouldn't normally have been possible before smartphones. And also because I'm a homeschooled dad, we use the phone all the time. Like my son, uh, just yesterday, we went, uh, what did we, we were, oh, we were organizing the basement and we had a box of sugar. He picks up a box of sugar and he's like, oh, what CNH sugar, what does CNH stand for? I'm like, I don't know. I have no literal way to find that. Oh, but wait, I have a smartphone. I'm gonna look it up. And I, we found out immediately what CNH sugar stood for. And then we talked about the history of the company. We read a little blurb on it. We're like, oh, how does this relate to our life? And we like learned all these little facts. Then we started talking about what grows sugar. And that grew into like this whole long conversation. Um, you know, my son saw the, uh, the the Budweiser What's Up commercial. You know that commercial, right? Where the oh, guys yeah. Like, What's, What's up? up? Yeah. Like that, that super famous commercial. We watched that commercial. And then we watched a couple more. And then we started talking about the time that that commercial was made. And I was able to look up examples. And then we talked about like, and actually segued into like the Reagan years, the Bush years, um, the AIDS crisis, the economic crisis, trickle down economics, and then oh, ta- talked about into Obama. So like all that stuff was really facilitated by having a smartphone, in which I, I view as conscientious use. So like we wouldn't have, I mean, we would have had a conversation. It might not have been as rich because I wouldn't have had all the answers, but looking those up, I was able to provide the information. And I feel like that really led to having a really good, rich, fulfilling um, meaningful conversation with my son. And I feel like we both ended up being smarter after we did that thanks to the smartphone. So again, I think it's not just 
it's about how you use it. Don't just sit there on your couch and don't move and scroll through Twitter all day long, but like look up information that you need, find the news sources that you need, and then put it down once in a while. Talk to the people in your life and engage in life and just use it as a tool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, everything in life is, is similar to that. The, how you use it, how you, what you do with the information in front of you. But I will say for younger people, it is this kind of sexy thing that um, I think has some negative um, potential that if they didn't have it, they wouldn't even have that ability to get lost in the, you know, how many people like their shit. So, Oh yeah. It's, it's, there's big, big challenges that we as a culture and as a society and as a people, and especially as parents have to get over. I mean, we're not going to get into that now because that's like a whole podcast. I know we are in like a tech tech podcast, social economics, self-esteem issues, accessibility to porn, online strangers i mean there's so many Wait, dangers there's porn that are associated with it. uh yeah we'll talk about that later oh, okay um so yeah all sorts of challenges all sorts of problems but i think all sorts of opportunities as well so jeroon i would never go back to a dumb phone carlos would you go back to a dumb phone no but i would a hundred percent that's why this is this is a bigger discussion i would a hundred percent a thousand percent times over would go back to what i just talked about because it, it became very romanticized in my in my mind just now, a, a, just a notebook, a book, magazine, an MP3 player. I would do that in a heartbeat. A heartbeat. <laughs> I say you should do that. You should do okay. that this week. Take that stuff with you. Notebook, a book, magazine. Well, whatever. where am I going this week? I'm not going anywhere. We got to so wait for this leave, thing. So how about this? Leave your phone in your like next to your nightstand or something. Don't turn on your consoles and don't turn on your computer and just be at home with yourself and pretend like you're at a well, bus stop or okay, pretend hold, like you're at the mall. Oh, or I see what you're saying. Okay. So like just turn it off and don't touch any of that stuff. It's like yeah. a, like a, a thought exercise, right? right? Right. And so just give yourself like the four or five things that you would have had like in a backpack in the eighties, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then see what it feels like. Eighties slash nineties slash two thousands. Like I've, yeah, I've had that like go. ever since, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I can already tell you the answer to that. I, it's gonna feel great. By the way, it, it, to end this conversation, right before the smartphones came out, um, one of my favorite uh, MP3 players called Arcos. Do you remember them, Arcos? Not ringing a bell, but I believe you. Everybody Google A-R-C-H-O-S. They made the pinnacle MP3 also video player, and it was like horizontal, and it had so much hard drive space for back then. And I had all my music and all my podcasts on it and all of my video podcasts or my web series when they first came out. And it looked great, and it was not HD, but it was whatever high quality back then. And I had everything I wanted, I thought, in this one Arcos video player because it could do everything, right? It could do what these smartphones did. It just didn't make phone calls. And guess what? I don't use my fucking smartphone for phone calls. Who uses the phone part of your phone anyway? Randomly, we do here and there when we have to. But in general... That's why I know for sure could I go back to the time when I had my Arcos video player? Yeah, because that motherfucker could do everything. Well, those are the days. I look forward to your review next week. We're going to find out. Carlos okay. is going to go on technology uh, walkabout where he's just going to like you know bring a backpack and nothing else, and we'll see what it. happens. I love it. It's like Bear Grylls out in the woods, except for it's Carlos with a Game Boy in his living room. But let's same come up thing, with a name basically. for it. Yeah, let's come up with a name for that. <laughs> uh, I do want to say real quick, though, I am playing Trials of Mana finally after uh, talking about it on this podcast for many times. Uh, it finally came out yesterday or two days ago. And yeah. Yeah, Thursday night. Uh, and I fucking love it. Spoiler. And very, very excited to talk about it uh, probably on the next podcast. Excellent. We shall slot that for the next podcast, and we will talk about it then. 
All right, folks, that is it. Uh, also, Jeroen, thank you again for that uh, question. I think it led to some really interesting yeah, discussion. And I, again, apologize that it took me so long to get to it. My bad. Totally my bad. So this one's on me. Uh, but that's it, folks. Thank you very much for listening to the So Video Games podcast. We will be uh, back again next week, as always, or probably even before next week. In the meantime, uh, social media, where are you this week, Carlos? Yeah, Artie the Game. I'm trying to promote the indie game I'm working on. R-T-A-R-T-I-E. T-H-E-G-A-M-E. Uh, follow Artie uh, on Twitter at Artie Game and ArtieTheGame.com. Excellent, excellent. As for me, same old, same old on Instagram and Twitter. It's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Always no O's. And that is it. We will catch you again on the next episode. And in the meantime, this is Bye from Brad. And Bye from Carlos. Oh, shit. I just did the regular thing. I did what you're supposed to do. Did that freak you out? I got I got thrown for a loop. I wasn't sure what's happening. I'm not I'm not even sure what's happening now. I know. Where, where are we now? Are we like in the has the timeline split again? <laughs> give me my give me my self vacuuming shoes. <laughs>